Welcome to the Anxiety Coaches Podcast. 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 A fun and conversational show where two coaches teach you about anxiety, panic, and PTSD. And how you can overcome them for life. Aloha. Welcome back to the Anxiety Coaches Podcast. I'm your host, Gina Ryan, and I have a special guest with me today that I'm very excited to share with you. His name is Brian Johnson. And before we get to Brian and his amazing work that he is doing with Philosopher's Notes and some other classes that he's doing, uh, I want to just uh, thank everybody for coming to the podcast week after week, podcast after podcast, and for supporting us in the lovely way that you do meaning that you do go to iTunes and leave us reviews. They're so fun to read, and they help other people who are searching for maybe a podcast or something on anxiety, and they get to read in your words what our show is about and how it's helped you. So we really appreciate that. Thank you. And if you haven't gone to iTunes yet and left a review, please do. It would be fun to read what you have to say about the show. And don't forget to leave a five-star review if you feel to. Um, besides our uh, podcast two times a week, we also have a very active Facebook group, so jump on over there. It's free. We have over 4,000 current members, and we'd love to have you join us. If you have questions, you can ask the question in there, get some community support, and also the coaches jump in and um, answer questions also, so we'd love to see you over there. If you need more help, you can email us at anxietycoachespodcast at gmail.com and we'll let you know more about our one-on-one coaching and our group coaching that we have going on. So, without further ado, I'm going to tell you just a little bit about Brian Johnson. Um, He is a lover of wisdom and he loves helping people, helping people optimize their lives um, so that we can all change the world together. Um, what I have found with Brian is that he has he's studied and bodied and he teaches the fundamentals of optimal living, integrating ancient wisdom, uh, modern science, and common sense along with virtue, mastery, and fun. He created the Philosopher's Notes in Optimal Living 101 and Entheos. He wrote a little book called A Philosopher's Notes, and he was featured in the documentary Finding Joe. And um, he has an Optimal Living column in Experience Life magazine. Brian has done some other really big stuff in his past life. He raised $8 million to finance the creation of uh, uh, E-T-E-A-N-Z plus um, Z-A-A-D-Z which was sold to Active and Guyam. And he graduated, that, that was all after graduating Phi Beta Kappa from UCLA, where he studied psychology and business. And boy, when you listen to Brian's uh, philosopher's notes or watch him sketching things out on that uh, whiteboard or chalkboard, you know that this man totally understands both psychology and business. So I welcome wholeheartedly my guest today, Brian Johnson. Welcome, Brian. Well, thank you for that wonderful introduction, Gina, and uh, I'm thrilled to chat. 
Thanks for being here. We, um, as you know, are people that talk about uh, anxiety, and we try to talk about it in the way that we are moving out of it, um, how we can turn our lives into lives that we love living and um, have the anxiety become uh, a part of our past. You know, we all get in there different ways, stress, hormonally, uh, the list goes on on how we enter an anxiety panic state that doesn't go away quickly, but uh, when the way to come out is uh, multifaceted, and so today I'm hoping that you can shed some light on uh, what you know about anxiety and stress, and I know you know a lot about it, so What's your opening words about stress and anxiety? Yeah, my opening words about stress and anxiety, and I'd throw depression in there as well for me, is I know it very well from a, a first-person perspective. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and I just used to be really up and down in my life um, in terms of, you know, being super inspired and not inspired and also really anxious in general. I mean, I was I was a super shy, reserved kid. I used to bring an extra t-shirt to school in high school because I would sweat through my first one by the second or third period you know just a lot of a lot of anxiety and um just you know timid and and afraid of the world in a lot of ways also really you know passionate about different things but uh I, I know what it's like to feel anxiety and it's been you know a process for me over the last really 20 years now to systematically build what I like to call the scaffolding in my life so that I just can't mm-hmm. fall down as low as I used to. Of course, we all have stress and, and um, uh, it, I, don't, I don't have the anxiety like I used to actually. It, it's, it's, uh, I've learned some things to help me stay solid and then to channel yeah. that energy when it arises into a more pure state of enthusiasm. I'm obviously amped up and I'm challenged, um, but to channel that in ways that are more constructive for me, which i I imagine we'll get a chance to talk about. Uh, yeah. You know, it's been a big part of my life. Very good. Yes, I love that building of the scaffolding, Brian, because we all, um, even when we come out of having uh, anxiety panic, which is that state that you might end up in the doctor's office over, like, help, what is this thing? Um, when we moved out of it, I try to make sure people understand it doesn't mean we don't have anxious moments. I tell people uh, my anxiety, I had more anxiety-provoking things happen to me after I had cleared my my anxious state, um, but I knew how to handle it. And I guess in your words, it would have been that I had built some scaffolding. So if I did slip and fall, I didn't go down so far. I had something to hold on to and hold me up. So I love that. I love. And tell me uh, some of the ideas of how we might build that scaffolding. Well, for, for me, in my experience and in the, the work that I've done in my own life and, and studying, I think it all starts with the fundamentals. I think that if we don't have the basic human physiological fundamentals in place, eating well, moving consistently, and sleeping enough, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to have a tough time. I mean, we're just not going to be in the position physiologically to deal with life's challenges. Um, so for me, that was the most fundamental thing. I used to not eat well. I used to move rarely, and I didn't sleep regularly. And now mm-hmm. you couldn't pay me to not do those things. And for me, my number one thing is sleep. If I want to trigger yeah. stress in my life, just cut an hour or two of sleep off of my my night. And I'm a different human being. And I've, I've yeah, you know, I've I've 
we have a pretty systematized and, and rigorous life. Uh, and when I, when I don't do the certain things that I've committed to doing, even for a night, I, I'm, I can, I can feel the subtle differences and I, I refuse to go, um, too far down that path. But that's, that's really the cornerstone of my work and my teaching is master the fundamentals. Get really good at being consistent and make the connection. This is what all, you know, my favorite research on the, the science of health, uh, motivation and behaviors. Michelle Seeger, one of the leading thinkers in that regard, um, mm-hmm. talks about you got to make the connection. This isn't an abstract thing. You've got to know that when you get eight hours of sleep, you're able to deal with your stress this way. If you get six or whatever hours of sleep, that's how you deal with stress. And then when we make that very simple connection, we need to take this step further and uh, make those new habits non-negotiable. Um, and again, of course, that goes with exercise and with nutrition as well from my perspective. Um, that's where I start. And then there's a lot of other things. But that's that's the the primary foundational um side of of how i've really conquered that depression and anxiety in my life and what i encourage others to think about yes i couldn't agree with you more uh being also a nutritionist you know i'm loving that eating piece and uh the interesting thing is it's not always the eating part is not always what you think it is (laughs) you know there is a lot of controversial ideas about food out there and so the bottom line is finding what works for you and your particular body type and your lifestyle so um, you know it can mean a little bit of testing things here and there and it does take a little bit of time but it's um, it's well worth the effort and the moving piece again it's individual like trying to have people be runners who who would much rather just dance <laughs> you know could be it could be counterproductive so we want to find what works for us and then it makes it that much easier and then the sleeping piece i uh, i've often told people that one of the um I, what if i told you i had a medication that would help you but it took 8 hours to do it right and that's the sleep it isn't a pill but if you can get in it because most people don't I'm shocked to learn that most people don't even sleep anywhere near eight hours which is surprising to me because I need eight or nine um, for a good night and uh, so I think that people have cut themselves short on all three of those those basics that you talk about so that's a great place um, for everyone listening to start maybe Start looking into your food, your movement, and your sleep habits. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, it's, yeah. Uh, and yeah, there's obviously a ton of different approaches nutritionally. I think it's not a little experimentation. I think it's a ton of experimentation, you know. And, and <laughs> yeah. the belief that you can you can figure it out. I mean, ultimately, you can. that's in terms of conquering anxiety. That's has to be the starting place if i can i can't solve this um and hope is another big aspect of of uh of my work and the obvious nature of of um how to deal with anxiety but uh yeah and then the movement i mean yes of course we all need to find the movement styles that, that work for us but i love tal ben shahar who taught the largest class in harvard's history who said look not exercising is like taking a depressant and in my work, I, I stress that point. Well, you know, if you're not moving your body uh, rigorously, you know, if you, even if it's just, just walking quickly, but our bodies evolved yeah. to move. And if you're not doing that, when you take your vitamins in the morning, imagine you're taking a depressant because that's wow. the, the physiological effect of not consistently moving your body. And that's, that's another one of my 
huge things. You you literally couldn't pay me to not move consistently. And it, like to your point, it doesn't need to be crazy, but figure out what works for you um, right. and do that. Then of course recover properly and prioritize that you want to master uh, yourself and optimize your life more than you want to be entertained. The reality is the reason why people aren't getting a good night of sleep for most people, not all, but most people is they, they have valued entertainment higher than their well-being and their, and their flourishing. And we just right. need to be, again, I think clear on that and honest with it and then turn off the TV or the internet or whatever, uh, yeah. give ourselves an opportunity to, um, to really recover, uh, and uh, experience all that's possible in life, right? Yeah, and I know we say it on here all the time, but you got to turn those screens off at a reasonable time, unless you're wearing, you know, the the shooter's yellow glasses, or you have um, uh, f dot lux on your computer or phone or whatever. But even then, it's you know, it's changing the lighting a little bit. But we also have to let our mind settle down and rest and Jumping into bed after flickering screens is not a good plan. And I, uh, you know, many people that I work with are waking up in the middle of the night. This is a big issue with the, and they're having anxiety and stress and maybe even a panic attack. And their favorite thing to reach for is to pick their phone up, which is right by their bed, and watch something. And it's a really hard habit to have them break, but they notice a huge Huge. difference when they stop putting that screen on in the middle of the night. Even to read a book, don't turn the light on to do that. You know, we teach a lot of different things you can do just laying in your bed um, and and getting beyond it because what they're doing is just adding more fuel to the fire. No question. Um, I mean, it, with anxiety, I man, it's just obviously the overactive mind and anything we can do to quiet our minds. Um, not absolutely. I mean, right before we go to bed is not just the light, as you said, but it's the stimulation and create that mm-hmm. buffer zone is what all the great sleep researchers call it. And um, yeah, it's just a true sanctuary where that's all you're doing. Um, yeah, it's big, and that's I think a big part of of uh, that next stage of just the mental training too. You know, of actually practicing if you want to sleep better at night, meditate in the morning. That's that's one of the most powerful yeah. ways you can get good at, at in I taught a class called Optimal Sleep 101 recently and one of the ideas was to be able to flip the off switch. So to get really good at being able to turn your mind off and I didn't used to be able to do this at all. My mind would constantly race every which way and um it's been a very systematic pro- process over the last decade plus but it's been so fun to practice that not just in a meditation practice um for me every morning. Mhm. Um, but also every time I find it in a little way, when I find my mind mm-hmm. slip into little, little, whatever pattern, bring it back and discipline it in that moment. And for me, that's been such a huge thing to, to build that strength so that when the really stressful things come, I'm not trying to pull on a resource that I haven't cultivated, like trying to run a marathon after not uh, ever training, but I've trained right. enough that, that I can flip that off switch and, and, um, challenge those negative thoughts and do all the other things we need to do to, to maintain a positive outlook, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And it is a training. Consistency is important. Once you make that connection early on, that, then that consistency of actually doing it over and over again because 
Often people are looking for the answer when they're in a panic attack because that's when we're looking for help, right? Um, but And then they, we forget as we calm down or back into a regular better day, we think everything's fine. We stop things like eating right, moving, sleeping, uh, doing our meditation practice. And it is doing those things over and over without seeing any big results, but they are so minute that they build on each other that when, like Brian just said, when you come up with those, um, a big thing happens. You are stressed in a big way. You actually can turn the switch off. You can turn the mind into a different direction, So, but only through practice. So it's important to keep that in mind. I wonder if you can share with us a couple of ideas on um, quieting the mind. What are some favorite things that you've come across with all this reading you have done? Well, from my perspective, there's from my perspective, there's no question that meditation is the is the top way to do it. I mean, if you're going to go to the gym or go on a run or go dancing, if that's your thing to train your body, meditation is like doing that for your mind. So when I used to be anxious, my mind again would be out of control. So when I sit down for meditation, I've missed one day in the last eight years, um, which is a whole other conversation. It was a very that actually provoked some anxiety for me. Like, oh my gosh, I forgot to meditate yesterday. Uh, <laughs> I quickly moved through the stages of grief that I broke my streak. Uh, but it's been years since that happened. In, in it's I've had different practices over the years, but now it's 20 minutes every morning. First thing I do after I wake up and do my morning stuff is I sit. And the act of anchoring your mind to your breath, a mantra, a prayer, whatever it is that inspires you, and when mm-hmm. it slips, which of course it will, bringing it back, bringing it back. That that practice, I can't even remember what my mind was like um, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And it's so yeah. exciting to just, as you said, it's repetition by repetition by repetition. We're literally rewiring our brains and we're sculpting our minds such that we have the ability to bring our attention back. And for me, that systematic, ritualistic, repetitive um, training has been the number one thing, and, and uh, that's where I start. And then going through the day, as I said, that's it's every moment is an opportunity to practice. And it's the tiniest, most mundane things of, wow, I, I found myself getting a little bit frustrated with the person who cut me off on the freeway. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Notice that. You're cultivating that ability in your meditation practice and, and choose an optimal response with those tiny mundane things. And when that becomes the new habit, um, then the challenges we inevitably face aren't, you know, as painful. They become fuel for us to practice these ideals. Uh, and we just have that, that confidence in ourselves and trust in ourselves. We can handle whatever life throws at us. Yes. Yes. Because we can handle whatever life throws us. And we all prove that over and over and over again. Yeah, that's the, what, that's the game. What I'm... What I find people can't handle is the anxiety because the future is not here. We cannot, we can't work on it. That's the thing that's stressing everybody yes. out. It's the what ifs, what if, what if. Right. But if you don't have the capacity to, again, this attention, all scientists will agree, that's the number one attribute to happiness and well-being. And when I read stuff like that, I take it seriously. Then I, I do something about it and want to, Especially when you're talking about, you know, having been through and moving through that place of being uh, anxious to being in control of our mental and emotional states, 
that, that's that's exciting, and to to see that power, and then of course decide what you want, and then decide what you're going to need to do in order to experience that consistently. Um, <laughs> go do it. Like that's 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 the exhilarating thing. And to your point from before, it isn't about the state experience. In that state, well, okay, it's kind of as they say the championships are won not that day but in all the practice sessions that went in before and that's an obvious truism but it's it's true for our lives and i think really making that connection and then doing the work is uh yeah where it's at yeah that's yeah that's exactly it i love that uh looking at it in the sports kind of world because people will get that it is through the practice that the game is won so um I, I want to talk a little bit about um, channeling the energy because, uh, but before I let you get into that, I what I want to say is out in the world, I can see where you have channeled a lot of your energy and it's amazing. So I was hoping that you could, in this little in-between part here, you could tell my listeners about Philosopher's Notes, about Optimal Living Program because I find it so hugely valuable. I have been a part of um, the um, whatever. Yeah, I guess it's the Optimal Living Program. Is that the the site where we go and we get all the notes and? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I've been a part of that since the early days of it, and absolutely love it. So, uh, would you tell us a little bit about it so they can check it out? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, the basic idea is that I think it's pretty weird that we went from math to science to history, but no one ever taught us how to live. There was never yeah. an Optimal Living 101 class, and it's obviously too late to go back and change that, and most of us, all of us, are too busy to read full-time to try to catch up. So what I do is is uh, I read a ton, and I read what I consider to be some of the best books on how to optimize your life, from ancient Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and classic Stoic thinking to Nietzsche and Emerson to modern-day positive psychology. And I read the books and I pull out what I call big ideas, those sections you asterisk and underline um, and mark all up that can really change your life. Like any book has one, five, ten big ideas that can change your life. And I find those, I pull them out, and I put them into a six-page PDF that we call a philosopher's note. And I record that as an MP3 so you can listen to it on the drive to work, whatever. And then I do videos as well. And I try to connect these ideas to other ideas and then, most importantly, help people apply them to their lives today. So that's the philosopher's notes. And then I take the best big ideas from all of those books and I create classes on different themes. So I'm going to do one on conquering anxiety 101. Recently did right. one on conquering depression 101, finding your purpose 101, um, habits 101, conquering procrastination 101. I did one with my wife on love 101. Um, mm. And that's the basic idea is to give more wisdom and less time and to help people optimize their lives so they can actualize their potential. And it, and you do a fabulous job at it. I you know I'm not just fluffing you up here. I really 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 love those. I uh, default to them because in a way that is maybe other other uh, members of your program do also. But many of the books I have already read. But you know I've moved a number of times. I don't have a lot of the books anymore. And so it's like it's almost like my own little library with 
like the yellow highlighting uh-huh. in there. So that, they serve me in that way also. And then, of course, there are ones I haven't read that I uh, am thrilled to not go through the entire book, but to see your your highlights. It's it's a fabulous uh, it's a fabulous uh, way to learn. Thank right. you. Yeah, that's exactly the intention. And then also introduce people to books they may want to, to read and, and go deeper into. Um, yes. Yeah, that's that's the basic idea. And then it's all 10 bucks a month. So I'm all about giving the best to the most for the least. And, uh, yeah, just try to astonish people um, with goodness that helps them to, like I said, optimize and actualize. Yeah. So if you guys, you know, if that's something you're kind of interested in, uh uh, it, it's a great it's a great program to check out because it is so upbeat. I mean, everything in there makes you just want to get up in the morning and live your life that much more. So, thank you, Brian, for putting those programs out there. <laughs> thank you. I wonder if you can tell us now a little bit about how to channel the energy, like like what people might look forward to, like from clearing anxiety and depression or um, any of the other things that come along, um, because those are exhausting. It's exhausting to battle your mind every day, day in, day out. So um, tell me how you noticed the difference and and how we can look forward to channeling that energy. Yeah. um, What what comes to mind is is the have you read Kelly McGonigal's Upside of Stress? I don't know if yes. yeah. So just that yes. idea that I imagine you guys talk about. But for me, one of the big things was when I used to feel anxiety, and it's kind of graduated down over the years. But I still get nervous, and I still do get nervous before I do mm-hmm. an interview or or even before I do one of my videos or whatever. And I used to think something was wrong with me. That wow, when am I going to figure this out? And mm-hmm. and. Uh, that was kind of the dialogue in my head or I try to calm down and, you know, try to physiologically change from a very up state to a very mellow state. And her book really, really inspired me because she came, she presented a phrase and, you know, talked about the research behind it, which was awesome. But basically the, the idea was they brought people into a lab, stressed them out. And then they told them they had to give like a speech in front of a critical panel of judges and it was going to be filmed and basically the most stressful thing they could possibly do and half of the group was told to try to calm down and the other half of the group was told to say to themselves i'm excited and that simple reinterpretation of the physiological response made them perform way better and enjoy the experience way more and for me that simple phrase of i'm excited is what i say anytime i feel my nerves rising and rather mm-hmm. than saying something's wrong with me and at some point I'm going to figure this out, I say, no, I'm just excited. I really care about this and this is going to be awesome. And that simple phrase has alchemized um, the lingering uh, kind of anxiety, tension into mm-hmm. a level of enthusiasm that, look, that's just neutral energy. When we're feeling anxious, we care about something. And right. if we can see that and then see which is kind of a second step, right, of, of we're imagining the worst possible outcome. When we're really anxious, we're imagining the worst possible outcome. Right. So seeing, okay, I care about this, and, and can I use that energy as fuel? And then let me just slow down for a second here and pinpoint what it is I think is going to happen. Write that down, and this is something I used to do of, of, to, to deal with it. And then, okay, let me see if I can get a slightly more neutral 
possible outcome yeah. here and move up yeah. that spectrum to I might even be able to figure out, you know, actually this might go this way. And I can yeah. turn that super fearful, anxious state into a state of excitement. Um, and then I, I couple all that with breathing. Obviously, I'm sure you guys talk about this, the physiological mm-hmm. impact of, of just slowing down, getting out of that fight or flight, sympathetic response into a pause and plan or a relaxed response via, for me, my count is, which may not be right for everybody, but what I've fallen in love with is inhaling to six, holding for two, and exhaling for eight. And I do that ritualistically every single time I start my meditation for simple five repetitions, every time I take a nap, which is basically every day, and every mm-hmm. night before I go to bed. It's, it's that simple rhythmic breathing pattern and trigger myself of, hey, this is how I can flip that off switch uh, physiologically and go from there. So I said a lot, but I'm excited. And then that, that outcome being seen in a more positive light and then the physiological complement with the breathing has been a big practice for me. Um, you know, I think some of the listeners, now we all know that breathing techniques are different for everyone, and so I'm just prefacing with that, but I would love for you to explain your breathing technique uh, just in case it's one that might work for some people here because what I like, Brian, is I hear the consistency that you do it before your meditation in the morning, you do it before you take your nap, and you do it before you go to bed. And so it is just when we do that kind of thing over and over again, we're signaling our mind-body that this is when we go down, this is when we rest, we turn the mind off, or calm it down, let the dust settle. So could you share that breathing technique a little more detail? Absolutely. And then to to go to your prior question, which I didn't really even answer, on the benefits I've experienced, I can now turn my brain off in five deep breaths like this. And that's awesome. Like that, that's just so exciting for me to, to know that I have that ability. And of course I get up or I'll get... Um, frustrated or flustered or whatever, but it's really exciting to know that that simple pattern, which I've conditioned through repetition, is there. So just to paint that picture of possible. Um, yeah. But what I do is I inhale to six through my nose. Uh, and uh, usually before I started, I kind of take a clearing breath. Um, but inhale to six through my nose. doesn't need to be precisely six, obviously, but basic count. Mm-hmm. I hold for two. And then I exhale, uh, I vary between my nose and my mouth. Um, different teachers recommend different things um, for six. And I, I press my tongue gently against uh, right behind my teeth, basically, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. when I breathe out through my mouth. And that's a that's classic. I love peak performance, and I love understanding how to optimize by looking at those who are performing at the highest level. So all the great mental training and toughness coaches who coach athletes and world-class performers or the Navy SEALs, that type of breathing pattern is what they come back to. Um, And I've had members, one guy's a Broadway performer who started doing that breath pattern um, after one of the notes where I talked about it. And and it's a powerful thing. So um, that's the basic idea. I I do five of those, um, and I kind of systematically count them off start with my hand kind of open and as I do one uh, do one and I do the second one I touch my pointer finger to my thumb I do the third mm-hmm. I touch my middle finger my fourth and then my fifth with the pinky finger and there's kind of a just an anchoring to um, mm-hmm. now's the time to, to relax and to to enter a different mental and physiological state and again 
all the research is unequivocal. Breath is your quickest conduit to um, the relaxation parasympathetic response. Right. Yeah, the research is there, and it's really important to pay attention to, and it's worth the time to to learn this or to ground to ground in your own um, pattern uh, because we all breathe differently. So, but you know, it is good to have this. What I like, Brian, is that there it's. You do the same thing. It's like a little set pattern, and I even love the the anchoring of the hand. Like that's important. Like that, just opening the hand and then touching each finger. So you to count your five breaths. It's another anchor. So it's the breath. It's your actual sitting. It's the timing. And next thing you know, you're probably sleeping <laughs> or meditating. We're in a different state. You know, and again, yes, totally in another state. You can't try that in the middle of a panic attack. You have no. to build that. It's literally like saying, okay, go do a triathlon this weekend. Well, if you want to do a triathlon and you're not in shape to do a triathlon, obviously the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you had trained for months and perhaps a year plus before. And again, that that very obvious but powerful connection um, is what gets exciting. Very good. Um, before we begin to wind it up, I wonder if you just open it up. Is there anything, what comes to mind to you that my listeners might value about what your research has been on anxiety well i think you you mentioned i don't know if you used the word hope when you were saying um something earlier but i think the science of hope is a really beautiful thing and a guy named shane lopez who is one of the world's leading researchers on hope articulates it so beautifully and and this idea that that he says there's three components you need to hope essentially is believing that tomorrow is going to be better than today and when we are drowning in, in a lot of anxiety, we've lost a lot of that hope, and there's a hopelessness to it, and we've allowed the negative expectations to crowd out the positive. So cultivating the ability to to practice hope, I think, is a huge thing. And his, his model has three components. This idea of having a vision for your future, a goal that has meaning for you, and then believing that you have the agency, the power to make that goal come to fruition. <laughs> And then the willingness to explore multiple pathways that you're almost certainly not going to get to your goal on your first pass or on your first idea of how it should happen. And when you have that attitude with the agency, the belief you can, you can, that your behavior matters and the willingness to do whatever it takes to kind of figure it out, then all the things that typically knock us over and stress us out and create anxiety don't need to do that because we see, wow, okay, that's just life happening. I know where I want to go. I believe I can get there, and I'm willing to take different paths. That's been a really big aspect for me, and um, moving from the fragile sense of everything has to go the way I want it to go or I'm not okay to Nassim Taleb's anti-fragile state where he literally says, okay, if you're fragile, something bad happens, you break. If you're robust, something bad happens, and you're able to withstand it longer. But what about if you're anti-fragile? If you're anti-fragile, the opposite of fragile, something hard happens, not only do you not break, not only can you withstand it for a while, you actually get stronger. That's the opposite of fragile. And for yeah. me, that's where my life, that, that's the compass for me. I'm not trying to be less fragile or robust. I'm trying to get stronger with every challenge. And he says yeah. that the wind, a challenge, will extinguish the candle and fuel the fire. So we just need to have that that 
compassionate approach to life where the challenge is we say bring it on. We're not trying to avoid them. We know we have what it takes. We're going to get a little bit better day in and day out. And uh, getting all fired up here. But that's... Uh, yeah, no, that's beautiful. That's what we do here with the anxiety. We, you know, we, we get to a certain state where we do say, okay, come along, bring it on. You're here, you're with me, let's go. Because that is when we get stronger. Yeah, then, yeah. And then the bigger the challenge, the bigger the opportunity to, to, uh, to display what we're capable of. I mean, that's the hero's journey. You want to have a great hero's journey. You're not sidestepping lizards. You're battling dragons. And, you know, when we can bring that that sense of of empowerment and then connect it to a purpose that's bigger than us, um, we can really embrace uh, life. I think with that healthy enthusiasm and and uh, confident humility to to be able to approach things um, with more and more grace and power. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I, I thank you so much for being here, Brian, today, and I. I think what you've done is you have brought a lot of hope into uh, the Anxiety Coaches podcast. And I, you know, we talk a lot here about hope and belief and our self-care. And you've, you've, you've talked to us about a, a multitude of ways that we can do those things. And again, with, with connection and uh, consistency. So I hope that people heard the hero's journey. I hope you hear that because there's something inside us that stands up a little bit taller when we look at our life as living a hero's journey versus this is all happening to me. So, um, Brian, thank you for being our guest today and for uh, lighting a, a new path maybe for some people and uh, sharing the wonderful work that you are doing out there online. I hope people visit your uh, website. I will put it in the show notes so people can get there easily. And um, maybe someday we have you back, Brian. What do you think? Well, thanks for having me, Gina. I appreciate all the work that you're doing. And, um, yes, here's to to uh, all that you're up to and conquering anxiety and living life fully. Thank you. All right, everyone. It'll be a few more days before I get to another podcast out here with you. But until then, be well and aloha. Thanks so much for joining us for today's episode of the Anxiety Coaches Podcast. Find more at anxietycoachespodcast.com. We'll see you next time.